a lot has happened so far within 2022, from war in Eastern Europe to gender politics in Florida education, tragic massacres in Texas, celebrity assaults and courtroom drama, changes in abortion legislation, just to name a few. The world can keep on with its madness, whether wars, protests, celebrities, politics, doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't really matter in this show. If you want to take a break from the everyday toxic and overwhelming flow of information, then this is your show. We stay focused on the deeper ideas here for the thoughtful individual. Think Like a Madman, I'm your host, David. Welcome to episode 10. Who knew this show would have such endurance? 10 episodes already and over 430 listens as well. How the hell do I keep finding stuff to talk about? So, in today's episode, I will give you... No, I will guide you to a higher form of thinking and appreciation when it comes to some everyday ideas and events that you come across. You'd be surprised by how much you can extract and learn from what you think are simple, common ideas. But let me not jump the gun, I suppose. Today's episode is pretty much broken down into three segments. In the first segment, I'm going to share the deeper meanings behind sport, music, film, and story. In the second segment, I'm going to share some things that you should value and practice such as sacrifice, gratitude, courage, discipline. And in the third segment, I'm going to tell you why you should keep on playing. Now let's talk about sports. And no, this is not a sports channel where I talk about players and numbers. I'm not here to talk about Tom Brady for hours. Honestly, I don't believe it takes much thinking to watch a few games then develop an opinion using statistics. No, when I talk about sports, I get to something deeper. We're going to arrive at the essence of what sport is. Now... I hope you understand the larger effect of this phenomenon we call sport. It's not really just an activity. It's a lot more than that. Let's try, let's try and think about it rationally. And we'll use soccer as a prime example or football for you listeners outside the U.S. Why on earth would someone take a ball full of air, run around, and kick it into nets? Why would someone want to do that? Perhaps you're saying because it's fun. It's exciting. Very well. But let's try this thought. Let's say the game was never invented and you witness me in the street kicking a ball into nets. You would probably think, what in the hell is this guy doing? Whatever purpose could be found in doing that, what's the benefit? As you can see, it's, it's pretty hard to find a rational, logical reason to play this sport. So why the hell do we praise this sport? Why do we have sport at all is the more important question. See, sport is a pure physical display of the human spirit taking an aim, overcoming obstacle, and marking their goal. It's ultimately an easy visual display of the human spirit succeeding. And because this is true, we see sport being revered all around the world. It's true because you get excited when the team you're rooting for wins. It's true because you get bummed out when your team loses. It's true because if if you go to any professional game, you'll see thousands of people gathered representing their team from attire to cheering. We flock, we go out of our way, and we go through the trouble to attend sport. And we don't do that just to see bodies kick a ball around. When, when your favorite player scores a goal, he or she, they don't celebrate because they kicked the ball into a net. Not really. They're celebrating because they had a name, they had a plan, they took a shot, and they hit their mark right on target. That's way more than just kicking a ball into a net. See, the physical aspect of sport is, is merely a foundation to carry and act out the spirit for you to witness. So the spirit is what counts. That is what you're rooting for, not the physics. 
we cheer for our team because we seek to be reassured that the human spirit can succeed. We want to be reminded, even if it's subconsciously, that we as individuals and as a species can take an aim and hit our target. And that is ultimately our life goal is to hit every target that we aim at. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about something we call music. First off, if you listen to the show, I'm pretty sure you listen to music. If you have the interest to listen to this, listen to podcasts and this amateur podcast nonetheless, then I'll go ahead and, and bet you really enjoy music. I've yet to determine what kind of person doesn't enjoy some type of form of music. But anyways, music is something that has been part of us for thousands of years, and it's going to be with us for another several thousand, fingers crossed. Now, like what we did with sports, you could look at music strictly in a rational light. What's to stop you from saying that music is just a bunch of noises in a pattern? Nothing can really stop you from saying that, and you wouldn't be very wrong if you did. But instead, music does mean something to you. And here's what it means. Music is the creative, deliberate sound of life's themes. It is sound created to stimulate you in a certain space of your psyche. And this is true because we know it carries an effective message, an undeniable theme. Because music can be festive and make you move. It can be sad and make you cry. It can make you feel glorious. It can hype you up. It can be tragic and it can make you anxious. It can be romantic. It can motivate you to exercise. It can make you feel lonely. It can be creepy sounding. It can be inspiring. It can make you long for something. It can have physical effects, like give you goosebumps. Hell, it can even be boring, like when you're, in en- when you're inside of an elevator. And so because we know all of these effects are true, regardless of your views about the existence of meaning, we can then also conclude that music is a creative testimony to the meaning and meanings and sentiments we encounter in life. Because why succumb to the power of music if it doesn't amazingly capture what life is sharing with you? Again, Music can have this remarkable ability to stimulate you in a specific area, even without lyrics or singing. And the really cool part is is that it's universal, meaning it carries that specific message to everyone. So let me give you an example. Let's say you take a song from the Western world, and also that song conveys a solemn mood. Take the song and play it for somebody in the Eastern world, anywhere in the Eastern world. What matters is that the person is totally unfamiliar with the song. The remarkable thing is that the person was still able to recognize that the song's intention was to convey a solemn mood. The person was able to grasp the theme of the song, even though they are completely unfamiliar with this song from some other place in the world. How do we know this is true? Because this experiment was done with multiple people across multiple countries. The overwhelming majority of those who listened to a foreign song were still able to grasp the point of the song. And so that totally proves that music is universal, almost as if it's a different language that we all understand. Hell, music is so common and universal that a black musician named Daryl Davis is able to gain the respect of KKK members using music, then causing them to abandon the Klan. Think about, think about just how much influence music must have in order to convince a radical member of a hate group to abandon his ideology. All right, now I want you to think about your favorite artist or music creator. And preferably think of someone who sings or speaks in a song. Lyrics, right? It'll be a little harder to get my point if you think about artists who don't have lyrics in music. Because lyrics can really help deliver message, especially when it comes with inflection. So again, preferably lyrics. Now, do you have your artist in mind? If they're truly your favorite artist, then their name should have immediately spawned in your mind when I asked who your favorite artist is. Good. Now, I have an idea. There's a good chance you have already done this, but I want you to begin to consider if you have ever felt that you can relate to this individual. One of two things should have happened. One, yes, I totally feel related to this individual, and that is why they're my favorite artist. Or two, 
you know what, maybe I do feel somehow connected to this person, but I can't quite explain it. Well, that's what I'm here to do. Or I'm going to sound like a fool trying to explain it. So look, I believe that when you have established who your favorite artist is, you're doing so because the soul and spirit this person has put in their music is something that has lured you in. And, and they lured you because you somehow relate to their experiences and sentiments. You relate to something they are expressing, sometimes even explicitly. You probably idolize and emulate them as well. There's some form of connection from you to them, a recognition that happens within your spirit. And so you're naturally drawn to them. But we can break this down even further. Now think about your favorite song or a few if your favorite song or a few of your favorite songs if deducing it down to one is too difficult. It's your favorite song because it expresses something that you wish you had the creative skill and spirit to express. It's a song that you, in a sense, relate to. And maybe not explicitly, but you relate to it deeply through purely your intuition. And when that happens, there's there's no escaping there's no escaping the song. You're hooked and obsessed with it. Perhaps we can say that your favorite artists and songs are the ones that your deep psyche recognizes the meaning of. And I truly believe that is a reason for why we have music. Now, let's talk about film. Like music, film is something that pretty much everyone enjoys. Pretty much every country and culture has film. We spend millions of dollars to produce films. We create systems and technologies specifically for film. Obviously, we have countless individuals who are employed by and dedicate their lives to films, even though they can be pursuing a profession more practical like farming or construction. So clearly, film's important. But have you really thought about why? Remember what I said about music? That it's deliberate? Like music, film is also deliberate. But it takes a step further because now you're watching the creation. You're watching the creativity. There's a very detailed, very deliberate visual aspect in film. Not only are you watching film with your eyes, you're also percepting with your psyche because film is very creative and thematic. So film is an optimal visual display of theme, expression, and creation. Film stimulates you to activate this form of supernatural vision. And again, that's because when you watch film, you're really using two types of vision. Vision of the eye and vision of the psyche. Now, your psyche doesn't see the way your eyes do, but it absolutely does percept something. So when you have both of the visions working together, man, do they complement each other spectacularly. If a film is executed correctly, it just it's supposed to capture you. You know, you've watched a movie or show where it's just impossible to take your eyes off. It just draws you in. It makes you completely forget that it's fiction. You forget that it's not reality. At no point during a great film should you think, oh, this is all fake, so why the hell am I watching it? No, but instead, when you watch a movie, you, you focus on it as if it is the realest thing ever. With the amount of attention you put into a movie, there's, there's no way it's without real effect. It carries a real meaning indeed. And now that brings me to my next point, the importance and meaning of fiction, a story, essentially. I understand sometimes story isn't fiction because fiction by definition involves imaginary and creative elements, but I'll still speak about the overall importance and power of story. Story is a phenomenon quite special to humans. The idea has been around as long as we have, and as time has progressed, we've gotten even better in our ability to develop, analyze, share, and learn from story. We continue to invent forms of sharing stories. First it was by mouth and action, then writing and books, then after so much time, eventually we arrive to all of these films, interactive games, and all sorts of modern formats designed for ultimately sharing stories. And there's a reason we put so much time and effort into having stories. 
Story is a creative, meaningful message come to life. It's a message that lives. It lives through a theme, through characters, through settings, through words and expressions, through intended emotions, through senses, physical and mental. A story is almost like a being, an entity, consisting of details, complications, background, purpose and meaning, having something to share or provide. Story isn't just a sequence of actions, but instead it carries a substance, something essential. The extraordinary thing is that stories can be entirely fabrication, but we pay very close attention to it as if it is not fabrication. Very similar to what I mentioned earlier about film. Now look, when your psyche extracts something valuable from the story, in other words, when you're undeniably touched by the story, that's perhaps because a sense within you greatly needed to extract and come in contact with whatever it is that compelled you. And story gives you what you may need to hear. It doesn't give you the everyday mundane elements of life. Nobody really watches that to be enlightened. What, you know, watching a story of someone living their everyday life, like washing dishes, sitting on the toilet, doing their laundry, sleeping, casual eating, watching someone go through those tasks is, is hardly a story. Remember, story is supposed to have a theme. Think of it this way. Think of your absolute favorite story. I don't care what it is. Even if you tell yourself repeatedly that this story isn't true, you do not engage with it as if it were not true. Again, you act as if it is true because there is a true message. And back to story having a theme, perhaps ultimately what a story should instill in you is implicit internal guidance on how to conduct yourself in the world. So when you're stuck obsessing over a story, ask yourself if there's a message in it for you. Ask yourself if there's something for you to learn. The perfect example of just how incredibly powerful story can be is the Bible. Now, whether you, whether you respect the Bible or not, whether you follow it or not, those of us in the Western world are definitely influenced and even regulated by the Bible. And at the end of the day, what the Bible is, is essentially a collection of books, a collection of stories. It doesn't matter if you believe the Bible stories are true or not. All that matters for now is that they are stories. And not just stories, but they are stories that have given us a foundation for so much of what we understand. It has shaped the Western world in which we live. And it has given so much guidance and direction how we live our lives. So many of our laws, ideas of morality, judicial systems, thought systems, philosophical ideas, and so on come from the Bible. Acts of violence and war were done in the name of the Bible, just as well as acts of kindness and generosity. You can burn and ban every Bible on earth and somehow it will still emerge from somewhere. Clearly this collection of stories has a tremendous influence and that's because story has this real effect. Now let's shift a little more towards fiction to, well, to something that more people agree is imaginary at least. All the effects and results of fiction are practically similar to non-fictitious stories, but I'll also add in the ability for story to distill and creep a message into you. And this ability can be applied to various forms of story. It goes for movies, shows, video games, all that stuff. But the example I'm going to use is a book, The Great Gatsby. If you read Gatsby in school and you extracted nothing valuable from the book, then your teacher failed you, or more likely you just failed yourself. You're, you're probably taught that the book is about the American dream, about the Roaring Twenties, about wealth and parties. Sure, it contains those things, but it's not really about that. It's, it's really a tragedy about a man with so much potential and power gone to waste because he couldn't let go of his past. But anyways, the Gatsby book is a terrific example of how a meaningful message can creep into you slowly. It grasps you slowly, but it oddly comes from within you, even when it's technically an external source. You had to periodically get whiffs of it and, and attempt to calculate the message with each one. It's like, it's like your psyche has these tiny detections, but you're not quite able to formulate it fully with your rational side. The message 
doesn't have to be so abrupt, explicit in your face. It's it's a buildup, a process. Then if the ending of the story is executed correctly, what should happen is this sort of click, a connection, a realization. Oh my goodness, this is the message. This is the point. And I use Gatsby because the ending is just perfect, just brilliant. The way it beckons, the way it beckons all the emotional pieces from your psyche's recollection and finalizes it so that you're leaving the story still basking and swimming in it. Goodness, there's no, there's no wonder it's one of the greatest American novels. Now let's move to the second portion of the show where I discuss values or ideas to practice, right? The first value I want to bring up is sacrifice. Well, first things first, you might not even think of or believe in sacrifice as a value. It's easy to see sacrifice as something harsh because it means you're giving something up or away. It also means that you're likely giving up something you really want. So again, you might not think of sacrifice as a value, but it really is an important one. Sacrifice means giving up something in the present so that the future holds something even better. It's an idea way older than you are. We've known for a long time that sacrifice can be very useful and even necessary. It can be a difficult idea to implement because we have minds that think in the present. Thus, it's very easy to only think about what you need or want in the present and hard to think about what can be had in the future. But even in small practice, you can begin to tell when sacrificing those things in the present will benefit your future. There's also sacrifice in a sense of letting go of things that are preventing you from moving forward. Sacrifice is an idea also heavily found in religion. I know that in Judeo-Christian religions, in order to stay in good touch with God, one of the things you have to do is make sacrifices. Now, I don't believe you're being mandated to sacrifice your child, like the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis, but nonetheless, there are significant sacrifices you have to make in order to stay in God's good graces. Now, there are many who might not believe in the importance of these sacrifices. You might question the utility of them or believe the sacrifices are just unnecessary challenges. But how about perhaps that there is some wisdom you don't yet see or understand? What if the sacrifices, or burdens as you see them, are there, are there to guide you towards heaven? What if, maybe you're not religious, what if sacrifices exist to give you something better? It's definitely a more difficult idea to use, but it's one that needs to be addressed, especially for young people such as myself who can be impulsive. Learn how to give things of desire up, delay your gratification, make sacrifices, and the future will hold something better for you, and in best cases, the future will hold something better for you and those around you. Okay, another very important value, probably even harder than the last one, is, well, at least harder to implement than the last one, is gratitude. In the modern world, we as a society can struggle to show gratitude. We, we can recognize trends of events or things that make us disappointed, hurt, resentful, and so on. It is very easy to feel those things, but I don't, I don't believe we think enough about what miraculous things happen on a daily basis so we can be in the position we are in. I, I cannot speak for everyone in the world, but I do know for many of us listening to the show, we have many privileges that we take for granted. And the smallest thing we can do for these gifts is show at least, show at least a little gratitude. Look, I'm not saying that your life is easy and without any difficulty. No, that would, that would be the most naive thing I could say. But I am saying that you do have some good things before you that your ancestors never had the privilege to have. If you truly choose to think, I mean, really think without, without contempt, really think about how much better you have it compared to your ancestors, then you absolutely will find things to at least recognize you can be grateful for. Our ancestors had to make all sorts of sacrifices and went through hardships so we could be where we are today. So I think it's wise to show some gratitude. Look, let me try explaining this in some practical ways. 
Let's take some examples. Think about just some resources you take for granted. Electricity, running water, heating, plumbing, appliances, food and agriculture, just to name a few. Now let's try this thought experiment. Really attempt to imagine the time, energy, labor, and sequence of events that need to happen so that you may have all or even a few of these things. You likely have more than the few examples I brought up. Think about what would happen if the electricians who kept your electricity on decided to just not show up to work. What if the plumbers and men who work in sewers just said, nah, not today? What if the, the farmers who harvest the wheat for your morning bagel decided to not work? Every single day, there are strangers working, putting their life problems aside or putting the problems of a loved one aside temporarily so that you can have many of the resources you have. I think we should all recognize this. There are some parts of the world where if you, if you hand a glass of water to a child, they'll absolutely beam with happiness and relief. I drink glasses of water every day and I don't even think about it. And you could, you could probably say the same too. So be grateful for what you have, please. I believe many individuals allow much of the information they receive to, to influence their attitudes negatively, and, and I believe that can be an unhealthy thing. It's, it's not good to be bitter and cynical, because that just makes your already difficult life even worse, and I truly believe that. I encourage you to find at least one thing you're genuinely grateful for. You'll see it's perhaps not as easy as you think, but if you're seriously grateful for, let's say, a person in particular, then maybe try telling them. And don't be sarcastic. Don't don't joke about it. You don't you don't need to be super elaborate. Just say what you can, and as long as you mean it, then that's what matters. Try at least this, and the gratitude you conjure within yourself will begin to work on you immediately. Next value I want to discuss is discipline. At the simple mention of the word, you're probably thinking about punishing your children or soldiers marching and saying, sir, yes, sir, or you're thinking about some strict authority or figure who tolerates no disobedience. Those are all uh, fair notions, but when I look at discipline, I see something more complicated, something more personal. I see it as a value. I try to see that there's more to it. To me, discipline is ultimately someone's control over themselves. Do you discipline yourself when it comes to money, or do you just spend recklessly? Do you discipline yourself on physical activity or do you allow yourself to be a couch potato? Do you discipline yourself on diet or do you gorge on unhealthy foods? Do you discipline yourself on sleep or do you deprive yourself of needed sleep? Do you discipline yourself on what you post online or do you not respect yourself or others? Do you discipline yourself to clean your home and make your bed or do you allow mess and chaos to live in your home? I believe discipline is a tool for having control over yourself. Obviously, no one is perfect because, well... You're not a master of your own self, nor are you a slave of your own self. You're, you're someone you have to essentially bargain with. And I think a great tool for having some control over yourself is discipline. I believe that when, when someone else disciplines you, they're simply trying to inspire you to have discipline within yourself. Discipline is also a tremendous tool for improving, learning, or mastering something. Many difficult skills require a great amount of discipline. And in this aspect, it consists of time, attention, hard work, repetition, labor, sweat, you name it. It takes a ton of discipline to maintain those habits if you seek to master something difficult like uh, sport, painting, playing an instrument, all of those lovely things. Uh, discipline is also very similar to the first value I brought up, sacrifice. The two are often hand in hand, but I think it's fair to speak about them separately. All right, next value to bring up is courage. No, not the pink dog. That's the next episode. Courage to me is ultimate strength you can have. It's 
how you conquer what you fear. It's what allows you to dive into the unknown with your head high. It's taking a risk, but not in a naive way. It's how you approach and obtain what you need. It's how you it's how you come to slay the dragon for the gold or for the princess. It's what allows you to at least get up and live while knowing full well you're going to die on some unknown day. But there is a very important detail to mention. Building courage is not the realization that things are not as scary as you thought. No, that's not what having courage is. Courage is, I know what difficulty or hell is coming up, but I'm going in anyways. Because I can face it. For better or worse, I can face it. Courage is, yeah, I know the world's a dangerous place, but you know what? I'm brave enough to take it on. Courage is how you grow into the person you're meant to be, else you'd remain the weak, fearful, and insufficient person you are. Now, to the third segment of the show, where I tell you why you should keep on playing. When I say playing, I, I don't mean games, nor do I mean to partake in silly activities. What I really mean is that you should explore, you should experiment, you should test, you should take initiative. I call playing a sort of lifestyle and mode of thinking where you're open to learning and possibility. You can also think of it as an instinct. You're open to a more colorful and eventful existence. Think of it this way. When you were young, I mean very young, say when you were a toddler or younger, you played all the time. You crawled, walked, and roamed everywhere to play with the physical world or with others. You explored your surroundings, you experimented with objects, you tested people, you took initiative to do all of these things. Now, sometimes the results of your playing was good, sometimes it was bad. The essential thing is that you learned, you gained awareness of your surroundings, and you gained experience. At that age, your lifestyle was to keep playing. I'm telling you to adopt that lifestyle all over again. Obviously don't, don't, obviously don't play like the child you were. Instead, be more sophisticated about it. Adopt that lifestyle again or suffer the boring consequences. Too often, others tell you something won't work. They say you're going to break or ruin something, whether it's something physical or abstract. They're telling you you're not going to have an effect. And that kills your instinct to play. So keep testing. Keep pushing. Keep exploring. Find your limits so you have a better insight of where you are in this world. If I didn't believe in the lifestyle of playing, then I wouldn't be experimenting with this podcast. Let me give a quick example slash story of what I mean by playing. Years ago... I was once enrolled in a robotics class. On the very first day, I encountered a table with various electrical components. I had a sudden impulse, a compulsion, to begin playing with these components, to experiment with them. I asked no one for permission. I said nothing. I didn't hesitate or budge. I allowed myself to experiment with these pieces. Eventually, I was able to connect a DC motor to a simple battery, and it functioned. It rattled and surprised me with delight. I made something happen. I made something work. Sure, you could downplay the simple experiment, claim it was nothing spectacular, but the point is that I chose to play around with my surrounding, and I discovered that I can make something function, that on my own initiative, I had an effect on something. I learned something about the atmosphere I inhabited as well. I learned that I had some capability in this domain. And if I keep playing, maybe one day I'll learn that I can make something happen in this world. That is why you should keep playing. Think like a madman. I am your host, David. 
Feedback is always welcome. Comments, questions, concerns, tips, recommendations, disagreements, criticisms, all of it. Just just not derision. That that won't be good for anyone. Please share the show. My hope is that this episode carries me to 500 listens. That would be great. Next episode should have something to do with the layers of a human. I don't mean layers of a human physiologically per se, but instead in the manner of understanding someone, who they are essentially. With that being said, this episode has concluded. See you on the next one. Don't forget to keep on playing.